Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Hey, you guys know what today is? It's Wednesday. That's all I got. That's all I got. Nothing special, no birthdays, no holidays, but I'll tell you what, every time I get to be with you, it's a treat. Hey, um, next weekend, we are going away to camp on Valentine's Day. Let me say, aw. We're leaving on Valentine's Day, and guess what? Listen, listen, listen. I know some of you guys here are like, I hate Valentine's Day because it just reminds me that I don't have a bay. I'm going to tell you what, though. This year... We all get to be each other's Valentines. Gender specific. All the girls and all the guys, we're all each other's Valentines. So, hey, my name is Sam. I'm the youth pastor here. I get to uh, hang out with a great community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. And so I see some new faces in the crowd. What up? What up? What up? Bronod. Nice. What up? Larry, right? Not Larry? It is Larry. Larry and Pete. Pete and repeat. We're in a boat. Pete jumped out. Who's left? Larry is left, always Larry. Uh, if you're here um, and it's like your first time or maybe you're kind of new, tell you what, Michelle is my homie back there, wave Michelle. She has some gifts for you. She has like $10 bills, $20 bills, and $50 bills, you choose. And uh, you go back there, fill out a card, tell it's your first time, and we'll get you hooked up in the system. So um, you guys ready for tonight? Yeah. Yo, so tonight's kind of like bittersweet, you know, because every time I'm here, it's sweet. But it's a little bit bitter because it's the last week of Obadodo. Yeah. Have you guys enjoyed Obadiah for real? Like, did you guys ever think that you can have so much fun in an Old Testament minor prophet that you never even knew existed? Right? Somebody was like, Obadiah. You're like, God bless you. I'm like, no, it's Obadiah. And uh, we found found some pretty phenomenal truths, you know, because we come here. We're students, we have fun, we're like, yay, Jesus. But then, like, there's, like, serious questions, right? Like, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? If God is all-powerful, what is he going to do about the evil, right? And we've asked some pretty serious questions. And so tonight, I have another question for you. This is the last question I'm going to ask you of our series, because next week is camp time. And so my question for you tonight is simply this. What does the end of the world look like? How many of you have ever wondered, what does the end of the world look like? Honestly, raise your hand high. Raise your hand high. Those of you who are not raising your hand, you're like, I don't care what the end of the world looks like because I'm just going to go out guns blazing. And I'm like, you've watched too many movies. What does the end of the world look like? How many of you guys, let's do this. Raise your left hand if when you think about the end of the world, it's kind of like a scary subject. And then raise your right hand if you think it's kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited, what's it going to look like? So left hand, it's a little scary. Right hand, it's kind of like, I think this is really exciting. I'm like Sherlock Holmes, I don't want to figure it out. And then both hands, if you're like, yep, I have no idea what we're doing. All right. I'm going to tell you though tonight. And so tonight, you guys know I love you, right? How many of you know I would never lie to you? And so tonight, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't know if your mom and dad have told you these things yet, but I'm actually going to tell you what the end of the world looks like. Do you guys want to know? I'm going to show you, literally. I just met you. What's your name again? Grace. Grace. I'm going to teach you, Grace. I'm going to teach you what the end of the world looks like. You guys want to see it for real? 
All right, because I, I'm the guy with the microphone. I know how it's going to go down. I've read the book. Do you, you really want to know? All right, Ember, I'm going to show you, okay? Warning, if you're like in sixth grade, this may be too scary. Just cover your eyes. Cover. Micah, I see you. Thank you. Here we go. End of the world looks like this. For real. No, I'm, I'm not lying, guys. Climate change is going to bring a blizzard on the entire globe. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. No, no, actually, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's actually not a blizzard. It's actually a series of tornadoes that are going to destroy New York City. Be scared. Is that not how the world's going to end? Come on. You know it's going to be like that, right? All right, all right, fine, fine. Hey, I'm just kidding. I'm not lying to you. I'm just kidding. I'll tell you for real. At the end, I don't remember the exact year, but in the end, we are all going to go out like this. Nuclear holocaust as nations blast on other nations and then those fall. It's like, ah! But I have good news. Even though the end of the world looks like this, you know who's going to be there? Your boy, Denzel Washington. Woohoo! Talking about that book of Eli, right? Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It doesn't look like this. For real, though? Um, but, like, seriously, here, here's what the end of the world will look like. Right? And this is, again, I don't mean to make light of something so serious. <laughs> Great. It's serious. At the end of the world, it's aliens. Sam, you said you'd never lie to me. I'm not lying. I swear there are aliens that are going to come down. No humans will be allowed. They'll call it something like, I don't know, District 9. And then they will chase us all and destroy us. Be scared. You believe me, right? Cammie, you know. I'm just, guys, come, stop. I'm just joking. All right, for real, for real, for real. At the end of the, I know, Evie, you're like, I hate you. At the end of the world, she's having nightmares right now in her sleep in her wakefulness. At the end of the world, because of the way that the planets align, I, I'm telling you, I've, I know this. I'm going to give you the real answer now. The way that the planets align and the orbits and the gravitational circles of the planetary constellational systems, what's going to happen is that we are on pace for a meteorological comet that is going to blast into Earth. And not only will we go the way of the dodo and the dinosaur, but this blast into the face of the spherical cosmos known as Earth is going to push us out of our orbit. We're going to be too close to the sun, and we are going to burn. Baby, burn. Call me Mr. Inferno. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Guys, guys, come on. You're like, Sam, I came here for the Bible and truth, and you're giving me hogwash. Fine, I'll tell you. All right. I asked you, what does the end of the world look like? I'm going to tell you. But seriously, sixth graders, you don't want to look at it. This is, I wish it was, I wish it was the meteorite. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish it was aliens. I wish it was zombies, for goodness sake. But it's like, do you guys really want to see it? You want to see the end of the world? All right, you asked for this. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I'm going to show you. He, they asked me to do I'm going to do it to him. Everybody put it up. I'm going to show you what the end of the world looks like. Here we go. One. No, not you. One. Two. 
Three. Oh, I can't even watch. Oh. I can't even, just stop. Oh, guys, the end is near. The end is near. That's the end of the world. What does the end of the world look like? Here's the crazy thing, right? Like, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to be a Christian. All over our society, all over the world, there is a fascination. What does the end of the world look like? And so as you've seen, Hollywood has given us many, many, many pictures to fill in our imagination. What does the end of the world look like? And so what I want to show you tonight is that the Bible also gives us some pictures, okay? As a matter of fact, tonight as we end Obadiah, there are three pictures, and none of them have to do with Peter Parker. There are three pictures that show us what the end of time will look like. But what you need to understand as I show you these pictures, and again, sixth graders, avert your eyes. This is crazy stuff tonight. As I show you these pictures, you need to understand that it's not like a play-by-play. This is not like a literal depiction of, ooh, and then this is gonna happen, and then this is gonna happen, and then there's... No, 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 you have to understand that these pictures are meant to teach us principles. These pictures are meant to show us truths about the end of time. They are meant to give us confidence in how things are going to end. It's meant to give us confidence as we put our trust in the one who directs history and the one who is bringing about the end of time. And so as long as you understand what these pictures are showing us, then I am willing to show you these pictures. So do you want to see the pictures? Do you want to see some biblical pictures of what the end of the world looks like? All right, we're going to look at some pictures, and each of them has a principle. So here we go. Everybody say, Obadodo. All right, Obadiah, it's been real. Let's finish this. Verse 15. For the day of the Lord, everybody say, day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. The first picture that we see here is the day of the Lord. It's the first picture. We're seeing a snapshot, not of aliens, not of the snap, not of zomp. We're seeing a picture of the day of the Lord. Now, for those of you who have been here for the last few weeks, you remember that the last time we saw Edom, they were doing something evil. The last time we saw Edom, they were betraying Judah. They were, op- they were entering into the open gates of Jerusalem, and they were literally stealing from Jerusalem, right? The inhabitants of Judah were taken away. Edom came into their gates and they were literally partying in the capital when nobody was home. And they were filling their pockets with the wealth. They were eating the food that they had left. They were celebrating. They were partying, celebrating. They were drinking and getting drunk in someone's house who had just been kidnapped and taken away to captivity these abandoned cities, they were celebrating and getting drunk on God's holy mountain. 
This was a day of partying for Edom, right? All the frat boys in Edom are like, yeah, party! And they're literally getting drunk on the holy mountain of God, Jerusalem, the capital. And so God, you know, how many of us already know from this series that God is big and God is powerful? And so God steps in here in this last picture and he goes, I know that right now it's a day of partying, but let me tell you about another day to come. Let me tell you about the day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord, I want you to remember how you're drinking and getting drunk on my mountain. Because on that day, you're going to drink some more. You're going to drink, and you're going to drink, and you're going to get drunk with what I'm giving you. And all the frat bars are like, yeah, God, we're going to drink. And God's like, oh, no, no, but there's a big difference here. Because the cup that I'm giving you on that day is not a cup of your preferred alcoholic beverage. The cup that I'm going to give you that you're going to drink and drink and drink until you're wiped out is a cup of my wrath. So I want you to remember how you're drinking right now on my holy mountain because you're going to drink again one day. And on that day, as you're drinking and drinking and drinking, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. They are going to drink continually of God's righteous judgment as he writes every wrong. And just like on this day, they are drinking until they're blacked out. On that day, they're going to drink until they're wiped out. Because God is going to write every wrong. But you know what's crazy about that day? He's not just going to write all the wrongs of Edom. He's going to write the wrongs of all the nations Whoa, 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 God, 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 I thought this was about Israel. I thought this was about Israel and Edom. He goes, no, 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 on that day, all the nations. And here's what happens, students. We read this Bible, right? Everybody show me your Bible. We read this book, which is primarily about God and his relationship with his people. And when we read this book over and over and over, we start to think that God is just the God of this small geographical area. Oh, this is their God. Oh, this is our God. Just the, this is the God of just those of us in the room. But every once in a while, we come across a passage of scripture where we see God do something. We come across a passage of scripture where we see God say something and it reminds us powerfully like, oh snap, this is not just a regional God. The God that we're reading about is the God of the whole world. The territory is his entire earth. This is not just one of many lords. This is the Lord of lords, the creator of the whole world. His rule and his reign is universal. His reach knows no bounds. And on that day, all the nations will answer to him. Not just one. All the nations will answer to him. And so when we look at the day of the Lord, and when we look at that picture, the principle that we learn is that all will answer to God when he writes the wrongs. All will answer to God when he writes the wrongs. This is the end of the world. Like at the end of the world, we see the day of the Lord, and that is a powerful picture. And I ask you tonight, students, is your picture of God too small? You were just singing a few moments ago, weren't you? What God were you picturing when you were singing? 
What God were you picturing when you were praying this morning? What God were you picturing when you justified your sin yesterday? What God were you picturing when you were reading the Bible with your friends? Are you picturing this God? Just, it's just our God. It's just, it's just the God of my little family. It's just the God of my grandma because she's really religious. And this is just our God. And I'm telling you, students, is your picture of God too small? Because when you look at the end of the world and you see the picture of the day of the Lord, you realize that all the nations will answer to God. Look at this picture. And in the end, there will be no question who answers to him. Everyone. Everyone. That's the first picture. In the end, God is going to right the wrongs of everyone. Everyone say everyone. Everyone. But there is one group of people. All right, all right, I know, I know. I just said everyone, but there is one group of people who will have a very different experience on that day. All right? You're like, that's not fair. You said everyone. I know I said everyone, but on that day, there will be a group of people who will not experience judgment. There will be a group of people who will not experience the, the righteous and just wrath of God as he writes the wrong. And you know which people will, will that be? His people. Look at the second picture. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess his own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Second picture, everybody hold it up. Second picture is the people of God. The people of God. So he's talking, and he says, at the end of the days, I'm going to, they're all, all the nations are going to be drinking my wrath. All the nations are going to be experiencing me right the wrongs and do away with evil. But there'll be one group of people who are in Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the capital of Jerusalem. And so when I first read this, I was like, wait a minute. There's people in Jerusalem. The last time we saw Jerusalem, a couple weeks ago, the last time we saw it, people were being taken away right? The last time we saw Judah, people are being led into captivity. So what do you mean, Lord, that there will be people on Mount Zion? Are they taken away or are they in Mount Zion? Which one are they? But here's the point, students. God promises that on that day, what was the name of the day again? The day of the Lord. God promises that on that day, his people are going to be experiencing something very different. You see, yes, right now, Edom is partying. The frat boys are getting drunk on Mount Zion while the real inhabitants are being led away to, to slaughter. They're being scattered all over the world. And God says, but on that day, there's going to be a great reversal. On that day, this is not the end of the story. I know my people are suffering now. I know my people are being slaughtered at the hands of evil now. But on that day, there will be a great reversal and the fate of Israel and the fate of Edom will actually be switched. Jacob and Joseph 
the north and the south. They will one day be brought home. And right now they're, they're living in somebody else's palace hundreds of miles away. But on that day, they shall possess their own possessions once again. He says, this is the second picture we see. You need to look at the people of God because on that day, my people will be restored to their land. On that day, my people are going to be coming back home, back to the land that I gave them, and it will once again be a set-apart special place. Once again, their home shall be called holy. God goes on here, and he's going to give a little little metaphor that I personally, (laughs) I personally am extremely qualified to explain this metaphor to you. Do you know why? You guys want me to show you why I'm extremely qualified? Why do you laugh? This is Sam Cassis, circa uh, uh, 1999. Yeah. 1999. I was, like a, I was a Royal Ranger. You guys probably don't know what that means. I was like a Boy Scout, but it was like Christians, you know? So Christian Boy Scouts, basically. Yeah, that's all I got for you. And so, hey, put the phone away, Jackson. You don't snap that. I'm unsnappable, bro. Shoot. Try that again. And so, uh, yeah, dude, salute. I did that for real. I was really good at it. Uh, That's all I could do. But I remember, so I grew up in New York City. I was a Royal Ranger in New York City. Put the phone away, Pete. I grew up in New York City. And so there's a lot of concrete, you know what I'm saying? A lot of buildings, things like that. And so every once in a while, we would get taken to the country to do a camping trip, right? And all the city boys were like, yeah, we're gonna do camping. What do we do? Where do we sleep? And it's like, we sleep outside. And we're like, whoa, chill with that, right? What about the bugs? Yeah, there's bugs. I was like, nah, 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 fam. What's going on here? So anyway, we had to like go through all this like training stuff. And so I learned how to build a fire. I was like, I love fires. Get the gasoline and the matches. And it was like, no. We're going to build it with wood. And I was like, that's stupid. We're not cavemen. And so I literally had to learn how to build like three different types of fires. We had A-frame fires, TP fires, and like hot fires, you know. And so we built these fires. And then they go, all right, the next lesson is how to put it out. All right. You blow on it like candles. (laughs) How many people know how to probably put out a fire? All right, so you're going to know this, right? Um, Contrary to popular belief, you don't pee on it. That's not the right way. Go figure. Um, yeah. So what you do is, what you do is there was, there, was a, there was a three-step process. There was a three-step process. You pour water onto it, and you're like, that's done, right? Step one. No, no, no. You pour water onto it. Then you move it around with a stick or your foot. You have to, like, spread the things out, and then you stomp on it, right? And I was like, why are we doing this to the fire? What did it ever do to you, Right? And what the commander taught us was that you have to make sure that every little spark of that fire is extinguished because even the slightest little ember could catch back up from wind or other things and it can make the fire grow again. If you're in the woods and you don't fully extinguish your fire, you could think the fire's out, you can go away and up to 12 hours later, there could be a forest fire and students, only you can prevent forest fires.
And so even, the, you guys are like super clappy today. I'm like, I'm 29. You're like, I love you! You guys are like, I like this energy. I'm feeling loved up here, right? Like, cheer me. All right. Yep, tried my luck. And so here's my point. Here's my point. The slightest little ember, if not extinguished, can return back and to roar into a flame. God says, that's exactly what my people are like. You thought that you wiped them out, Edom, but you know what? One day, they shall be a fire. One day, they shall be a flame. You thought you snuffed them out, but there was a remnant left. And that remnant is going to blow up into a fire. And guess what that fire is going to do? It's going to burn Edom in its wake. Edom, Esau, you're going to be the stubble in the wake of the fire. And guess what? Just like my people had an ember, you won't have any embers. There will be no survivors. No survivors. Edom, you're partying now. You're going to be burnt then. And again, this is a great reversal because the second principle that we see from the second picture is that God will cause a great reversal. And I got to be honest with you, students. As a man who is living in this world, in this current cultural moment, I find the, the, we call it the doctrine or the truth of the great reversal, I find this extremely comforting. As a matter of fact, I'm doing an entire sermon series on this when we go back to school in the fall. It's called Unfair. Because what I do is sometimes I look around at the world and I look at all the people of God who are suffering. And you're like, we live in East Vancouver, we're not suffering. Yeah, I know, you're the minority. But I look around the world at my friends who have gone overseas to be missionaries. I hear about uh, Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. We have a dude right now who goes to our church. He moved here in 2015 from Iran because he was run out of his country for persecution, or for, for being a Christian. He was kept in prison for six months without seeing his wife, without hearing from anyone. He was in the dark for six months, every day being beaten up, saying, renounce Jesus, renounce Jesus, renounce Jesus. Like we literally come here and we're like singing the name of Jesus as we pick our nose and like butt bump our neighbor. And like for them to even utter the name of Jesus can mean death. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so finally he signed a document that said, I promise I'll never tell somebody else about Jesus. They released him. He grabbed his wife and his kid and they fled to Turkey. He was there for six months in hiding. Finally got permission to become a refugee to move to Portland, USA. Where, he's been, where he didn't know a lick of English, and he's been learning English for the last four years. And last August, after moving to a little town called Kamas, <laughs> yeah, I live in Kamas, is what he told me. He came to our church. He goes, I am Christian. I am Christian. I'm here for good English. My friends tell me to go to the Iraqi church, but I want to learn English. And I went out with this guy for a couple hours and heard his story. And I'm just like, why are the people of God suffering in our world? But those who are pursuing evil, those who are pursuing sin, those who are doing whatever the heck they want and doing evil and being praised for it. Why is it that those who are killing innocent babies are being celebrated? Why is it that those who want to change the laws of nature are being rejoiced as heroes? Why is it that those who call what is good evil and what is evil good, why are they thriving and the people of God are suffering? Have you ever wondered that? We're not the first. That's actually a common theme all throughout the scriptures. God, this is unfair. 
And God's answer, in all of his love and his grace, and he bows down to us and he speaks to us. And he says, my child, do you want to know what the answer to your question is? All you have to do is simply fast forward to the end of the movie. And at the end of the movie, you will realize that there will be a great reversal. And all of those who are partying now thinking that life is good, they will be experiencing my wrath when I right the wrongs. And you who are suffering, you will know no more suffering. This is the great reversal. Fast forward to the end of the movie. Because in the end... It's my people, it is my kingdom that will be standing while those who pursued evil will have their deeds returned on their own heads. Fast forward to the end of the movie. Look which kingdom is standing. And as a matter of fact, we're gonna end right now uh, with the third picture by fast forwarding to the end of the movie. I'm just gonna tell you right now, guys. When you fast forward to the end of the movie, you're gonna see not only is God's kingdom still standing, Yo, not only is the kingdom standing, it's taking over. It's taking over. Let's look at the last picture. You guys ready? If you're you're ready for the last one, say Obadodo. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The final picture we see here is the kingdom of God. I read it that way for a reason, because what you need to realize is that not only are the people of God returning home, the people of God are not simply going back to Judah because it's the day of the Lord. The kingdom of God is not returning home to own their own possessions, licking their wounds. The people of God are coming back to Jerusalem, guns blazing, like, boom, Jerusalem, did you miss me? I'm taking over. The kingdom of God is expanding. Its borders are going to the fullest. They're not victims anymore. Does that sound like victim language to you? Are they knocking on Samaria? Excuse me, can we conquer you? Excuse me, Mr. and Mrs. Philistine, Can we be dominant over you? Excuse me, Mr. Edom, you've had a really long time at the top of the hill now. It's our turn. They are coming in, and the kingdom of God, they're not victims anymore. They're taking over. You guys aren't getting this. Let me give you a different example, all right? I want you to imagine that Portland and Vancouver have been at war for hundreds of years. I don't mean like rivalry, like our football team is better. I mean like, at war, like every night, Portland like throws bombs at Vancouver. Yeah, like you're in school and it's like, whoop, whoop, bomb drill. All right, everybody get under your desk. Portland's bombing us again. Ah, stupid weirdos, you know. <laughs> and like every day there's like helicopters and they're like raining paper over your schoolyard to intimidate you. And it's like, keep Portland weird, sucker, you know. 
Like you like even drive by the bridge and there's like Portlandians over there holding paper straws and paper bullets to spit straws at you. And it's just like crazy, you know? And like you don't recycle a bottle and like a little like Portland tiny person comes out there and like grabs your whole body and pulls you into the recycling bin. You know, like imagine. That's why I don't go near those recycling bins. You kidding me? I'm like from a distance, it's good. So I want you to imagine that Portland and Vancouver are at war and we Vancouverians-ish have been subjected to those Portlanders for too long. And among us, Stands a prophet. I need a prophet. Among us, do you want to be my prophet? Do you want to be my prophet? Among us stands a prophet. Come here. Just come here. I'm making this up as I go along. We'll figure it out. Among us stands a prophet, and she stands up and she says, Behold. Behold. Say, say behold. Behold. You, Portland. You, Portland. Will one day, will one day. Not, be on top. not be on top. And we, Vancouver are taking over. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, right? She goes on. She goes on. She says, you and the pearl will be dominated by the heights of orchards. And you in Alberta will experience the pain of Kamas. And and you at the waterfront will be brought down by the heights of battleground. BG forever, you know? You at the waterfront will experience the wrath of the mall rats, you know? It's like, do you guys know what I'm saying? Like, Vancouver is coming and they are taking over. They are dominant. There will be no question who's ruling. And Portland will bow to us. (sighs) That's what's happening here. God is saying, I'm bringing my people back in a great reversal, but they're not coming back limping. My, ki- my kingdom is going to rule. Those in the south will take the Edomites. Those in the north are going to take over Samaria. Those who were once exiles are going to take over the Canaanites. All these other people who have been warring against my kingdom will one day be brought low to bow before it. And that's the principle from the third picture, students. On that day, no one will question whose kingdom is on top. You're like, in the end of times, I never saw the Edomites in a Tom Cruise movie. Remember, it's not a play-by-play. These are principles. And so let me ask you. I'm going to give you a little pop quiz here. In the end of time, whose kingdom is going to be on top, Judah's or Edom's? Judah's or Edom's? Trick question. Neither. Because this is not about Judah. This is ultimately not about Edom. The point that he's making here is that in the end, this is about the kingdom of God. Here's the picture, guys. At the end of the world, we're not going to be worrying who's on top of the world. All that will be left is the one who made the world. It's God. And it says, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. There are no more competing kingdoms in the end. Only his kingdom. And I like to think of it like this. One of my hobbies is playing chess. And so I read this passage. Any chess players in here, by the way? If you play chess, come and find me afterwards. I have a little app that I'd like to share with you, and we should play chess. That'd be awesome, Garrett. Let's do it, okay? And so here's how I like to think of everything right now. Here's how we're ending. Guys, check this out. Check this out. Right now, 
we're at a stage of history where all of the political powers, all of the rulers and the authorities and the kings and the presidents, they're all like pieces on a chessboard and they are attacking and defending and they are advancing and retreating and they are positioning themselves to win the game. But here's the picture that we get in the end. Here's the picture of the kingdom of God. One day, all of the pieces, all of the pieces that right now think they're so important, all of the pieces that right now think that they're in charge, all of the presidents and the kings and the, and the bishops and the knights and the pawns, I mean, everybody who thinks that they're a player is going to be swept off the board completely. And God's going to say, game over. And all of them who thought they were players, they're going to realize that they were just pieces. And God's going to put them back in the box. Or if you're like me and you have a toddler, you don't even know where the boxes are anymore, so everything's in a Ziploc bag. And you're like, why is there a token in the chest bag? It's like, I don't know. But they're going to be swept aside and put back in the box. And we, at the end of the world, are going to have the clearest picture of reality ever. That everybody ever on the chessboard, those were just pieces. And all that remains is the board and the real player. And it's God. And all of the kingdom is his. And so I ask you, students, in light of this picture, in light of the fact that the kingdom of God is going to be on top, I ask you, which kingdom are you serving? Whose kingdom are you serving? I don't care how old you are. I don't care what religion your parents are. I don't care how long you've been going to a church. Every single person in this room calls something king. Every single one of you in this room has something that is ruling and reigning over your hearts and your lives. And here in Obadiah, we have the privilege of having a clear picture of the one true king who rules over all and who reigns and is all powerful and who is just and who rights the wrongs, but who's also good and loving and kind. He's not safe. Like Aslan says, he goes, is he safe? I don't think he's safe, but he's good. We have not seen a safe God in Obadiah. This is not a God that you can tame and put him in your pocket or put him on your shelf and go, good God, stay in your box. He's over the whole world. Whose kingdom are you serving? I'll tell you what, if you're here tonight and you don't call this king the king of your heart, like we just sang a moment ago, what are you waiting for? You see, the, the king, God, he's already told us that he is going to bring his kingdom to bear on this earth. And it's not going to be in one little geographical location. His kingdom is going to spread over the entire earth. And he's chosen a man. The creator God has chosen a man to be placed on the throne as his representative king. And we read it here. We end with Philippians Chapter two, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Students, come into the kingdom and serve God's king. His name is Jesus. And at the end of the world, 
when every knee is bowing, when every evil person from Edom and America and Rome and Russia and all the countries of earth, when they are all for the first time seeing the majesty and the power of the king and their only reaction, they have two reactions really. Number one is they poop their pants and number two is they bow their knee. And on that day, we will have the joy and the privilege of knowing that what they are now just doing for the first time, we've been doing our entire lives as we bow and serve the king. Live for the king. Live for the king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this powerful truth in Obadiah. These are powerful pictures, God. I like these way more than Hollywood's movies and and pictures and, and aliens and zombies. Lord, this is truth. And I pray that you would instill very deep into our hearts Anytime we hear um, talk of the end of the world or news reports or movies, let us remember your pictures of the end of the world, of the end of earth. Let us remember the day of the Lord. Let us remember the people of God. Let us remember the picture of the kingdom of God and let these principles burrow deep into our hearts. And I pray that the response to these pictures would be nothing less than simply, may we bow to the king. Lord, your rule and your reign know no bounds. One day, the glory of the Lord will cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea. God, there is not one part of the sea that is not covered by water. In the same way, Lord, there is not one part of the globe that will not be touched by your fame and your glory. So, Lord, we love you for this. We're not going to wait until the end of time when we're forced to recognize your greatness. Lord, right now we humble ourselves and we bow our knees before you and we say, King, I will follow you. I will serve you. And on that day, while, while you're righting the wrongs, while evildoers are experiencing fear and trembling, we will rejoice knowing that we are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, I pray for students here that are not following you, Lord. Just call them, save them. May they call out to you in humility and in faith and experience your grace, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.